Never forget 9-11. The United States constantly tells the world to never forget the terror attacks of September 11th, 2001 in New York City. But Washington often conveniently forgets that those were not the first terror attacks on 9-11. On the 11th of September, 1973, the U.S. government, in particular the CIA, organized a coup that overthrew the democratically elected government of Chile and installed a fascist military dictatorship. Today I'm going to be looking at the mountains of evidence proving that the U.S. government organized the 1973 coup to overthrow Chile's democratically elected socialist president, Salvador Allende, and also the U.S. work to destabilize him after meddling in the 1970 presidential elections in Chile. So Washington constantly claims that it supports democracy around the world and accuses Russia of meddling in its elections. But this is a documented historical example of the CIA meddling in a foreign country's elections. And then as soon as Salvador Allende was democratically elected in 1970, the United States spent tens of millions of dollars trying to prevent him from taking power. As soon as he took power, the CIA then destabilized his government, backing right-wing opposition parties, spreading fake news and disinformation in the media, organizing anti-communist labor unions to carry out strikes to destabilize the economy. This is all thoroughly documented in mainstream sources. And I should point out, it was not only the United States. Washington had support from allies in destabilizing Chile's democratically elected socialist government. Who else supported the United States? Well, also the United Kingdom provided support in the coup and the destabilization of Allende. Australia also helped to back the coup and to destabilize Allende and other right-wing regimes across Latin America, including military dictatorships in Brazil and other countries, helped the U.S. to overthrow Chile's democratically elected leader. Now, this history is very important, not only because it shows that the narrative during the first Cold War that the U.S. was supporting democracy against authoritarian communism, that narrative is a complete lie, completely false. The United States supported the majority of the authoritarian regimes in the world, which were actually authoritarian capitalist regimes, not socialist regimes. And the U.S. supported fascist regimes in Latin America, in Europe, in countries like Portugal. The Portuguese fascist dictatorship was a founding member of NATO, which claims to talk about democracy. Well, the U.S. backed the fascist military dictatorship in Portugal. And then the United States also allied with the fascist dictatorship in Spain of Francisco Franco, who had also been supported by Nazi Germany and fascist Italy. So that narrative of authoritarianism in communism versus democracy and capitalism is completely false. There were many democratically elected left-wing and socialist governments that were overthrown by the United States in CIA coups. So Chile is an example of that. But that's not the only significant factor we should keep in mind. Another important element is that Chile is a country that is rich in natural resources. In particular, for decades, Chile has been the world's leading copper producer. Still today, Chile produces more than one quarter 
27% of the world's copper. And as president, Salvador Allende had nationalized the copper mines that were being exploited by foreign corporations, in particular U.S. corporations. And we have documents proving that the United States government was conspiring with billionaire capitalist oligarchs from big copper corporations, like, for instance, the Anaconda Mining Corporation, in order to destabilize and overthrow President Allende. This is also very important to keep in mind today because there is essentially a kind of new gold rush for copper. In 2022, Goldman Sachs, the massive U.S. investment bank, which is popularly known as the Vampire Squid, published a report titled Green Metals, Copper is the New Oil. And Goldman Sachs pointed out that as the world moves toward renewable energies in the green transition, quote, the critical role copper will play in achieving the Paris climate goals cannot be overstated. They added, as the most cost-effective conductive material, copper sits at the heart of capturing, storing, and transporting these new sources of energy. So when we look at the politics in Latin America today and the neo-colonial policies that the United States has carried out, backing coups in countries like Bolivia and violent coup attempts targeting Venezuela, which has the world's largest oil reserves, or targeting Nicaragua, or the U.S.-backed political coup that overthrew Peru's democratically elected left-wing president, Pedro Castillo, in 2022. We should keep in mind the natural resources. Speaking of the U.S.-backed coup in Peru, can you guess what is the world's second largest producer of copper after Chile? It is Peru, representing 10% of global copper production. And as I reported at geopoliticaleconomy.com, immediately after the U.S.-backed coup in Peru, overthrew the democratically elected left-wing president, like Salvador Allende in Chile. Immediately after the coup, the U.S. ambassador met with the ministers of mining and energy to discuss foreign corporate investment in copper mining in Peru. So this history of the September 11th, 1973 coup in Chile is extremely important, not only for us to understand what happened 50 years ago, but also for us to understand the imperialist policies that are still being carried out by the United States government to this day. Now I'm going to start the historical overview of the evidence today, looking at one of the most infamous documents from the 1973 coup in Chile. And you can find this on the U.S. government's official website of the Office of the Historian. And this is, these are the minutes of a meeting that was held by U.S. President Richard Nixon on September 15th, 1970. So this is just 11 days after the September 1970 elections in which the socialist Salvador Allende won those elections. So less than two weeks after Allende won, U.S. President Richard Nixon sat down with the CIA director, Richard Helms at the time, and also he sat down with his national security advisor, Henry Kissinger. And Kissinger is, of course, infamous for his involvement in this coup and many other war crimes and atrocities overseen by the United States government. Now, this the minutes of this meeting were taken by the CIA director, Richard Helms. He said that 
the U.S. president, Nixon, called for the CIA to, quote, save Chile. And, he, and Nixon said he was not concerned with the risks involved. He was willing to spend $10 million. Now, $10 million might not sound like a lot of money today, but if you go, look at the U.S. government's official inflation calculator and you go back to September 1970 when this meeting was held, $10 million then was nearly $78 million today. So the U.S. government was going to spend a ton of money to try to destabilize Chile's elected president. Richard Nixon called for the CIA to use the best men we have. And finally, the most infamous, notorious quote from this meeting is Richard Nixon ordered the CIA to, quote, make the economy scream, make the economy scream. And that is exactly what happened. The CIA spent tens of millions of dollars backing right-wing political parties, propaganda and disinformation in media outlets, even anti-communist labor unions, which organize strikes to try to collapse the economy. So when you hear propaganda saying about how socialism fails and, and you say, look at Venezuela and all the economic problems, well, these are the exact same policies the US government has carried out, not only against Chile, but also against Venezuela with illegal sanctions and a blockade, or Cuba, which has been under an illegal criminal US blockade for more than 60 years, immediately after the revolution. So these are the policies the US carries out to make the economy scream. So it's no surprise that there are economic problems. It's no surprise that there is inflation in many of these countries because they are victims of economic war being waged by the United States, one of the most powerful countries on earth. And that is only one of the many pieces of historical evidence showing that the U.S. government not only overthrew the elected socialist government of Chile, but also tried to prevent Allende from winning the 1970 elections, trying to rig the elections against him, and then trying to prevent him from taking power in the first place. Let's look at another cable. This is a September 16th, 1973 memo from the director of the CIA to the National Security Advisor, Henry Kissinger. And this document reveals the efforts by the CIA to destabilize President Allende in Chile and also to try to prevent him from winning the 1970 elections. The, the memo from the U.S. government notes that the CIA carried out a disinformation campaign to, quote, denigrate Allende and his popular unity coalition during the campaign. This was a coalition of left-wing parties, including the Socialist Party of Chile and the Communist Party of Chile, along with other leftist parties. And Allende had been a longtime senator, a politician from the Socialist Party. And the article, the CIA memo notes on the U.S. government website notes that since Allende was inaugurated president, quote, U.S. policy has been to maintain maximum covert pressure to prevent the Allende regime's consolidation. Now, note how Allende was democratically elected by the people of Chile, and yet the U.S. government referred to his, his elected government as a regime because the term regime is a propaganda word. It means a government that the U.S. doesn't like. And the memo reveals that the CIA 
from January 1971 until September 1973, about two and a half years, provided $6.48 million in financial support for right-wing Chilean political parties, media outlets, and private sector organizations opposed to, again, the Allende regime. And if you use the U.S. government's official inflation calculator, you can see that today this would be $43.8 million. And this is just the money that the CIA admitted to sending to right-wing opposition forces in Chile to undermine Allende. Who were the groups that received this money from the CIA? Well, the memo names three opposition political parties, all right-wing, the Christian Democratic Party, the National Party, and the Democratic Radical Party. And the, the money was used to improve their internal organizations, acquire new media outlets, and to compete successfully in a number of congressional by-elections. So this is a blatant form of U.S. election meddling. The U.S. is giving money to try to steal elections in, on behalf of the right wing in Chile. And if you think this doesn't continue to today, I mean, you're very naive. This absolutely continues, especially in Latin America. And also the CIA gave this money to ensure the continued existence of El Mercurio, which is Chile's largest and most important newspaper, which acted as an effective rallying point for opposition forces. So propaganda, fake news, disinformation and propaganda to undermine Allende and his government. And then in August 1973, the U.S. government approved an additional $1 million to support opposition parties uh, through 1974. And the CIA director, William Colby, also pointed out in this memo to Henry Kissinger that the private sector in Chile was very important. It took the initiative in launching and maintaining a series of crippling strikes, which were instrumental in provoking the military coup of the 11th of September 1973. And I'll be looking at the evidence proving that the CIA also supported those strikes by backing anti-communist labor unions in Chile. Now, one of the propaganda talking points that we hear from people is that, well, okay, maybe the CIA was supporting, you know, the opposition against Allende, but they didn't actually organize the coup. That is false. The CIA played a key role in sponsoring the coup that was led by the fascist Augusto Pinochet. And when I say fascist, that's not just an insult. He was allied with literal neo-Nazis and fascists and... Then, when Pinochet governed the country for decades with an iron fist, he killed thousands of people, he tortured tens of thousands of people, he disappeared tens of thousands of people, he exiled many thousands more. And while Pinochet was doing that with the support of the U.S., he was also collaborating with Nazi war criminals. You know, it's there's a stereotype of Argentina having many former Nazis who fled after World War II. But the reality is that many also went to Chile. And just as in Argentina, by the way, there was a U.S.-backed right-wing military dictatorship which collaborated with many of these Nazi war criminals. In Chile, it was the exact same story. And in fact, there were Nazi war criminals who fled to Chile and collaborated with Pinochet's regime, and they even created concentration camps and penal colonies in which they were infamous for abusing children, and I'm not even going to say the horrific things they did because this will probably be censored on YouTube, but I mean, you can imagine the horrible abuse of children, and they just look up things like Colonia Dignidad, these, pr these prison colonies. I mean, it's just, it's bone-chilling, 
horror that makes horror movies seem, you know, cheesy compared to the reality of this, this fascism that was sponsored by the U.S. government in Latin America. And I really, it really, you need to understand that the U.S. government, for many countries in Latin America, especially for leftists in Latin America, is seen as very similar to Nazi Germany. And let's not forget that, I mean, of all the countries in the Americas that took Nazis after World War II, do you know the country that took the most Nazis after World War II? It was not Argentina. It was not Chile. It was the United States. The CIA and its predecessor, the OSS, through Operation Paperclip, recruited many thousands of Nazi scientists and engineers, including horrific war criminals that carried out experimentation on humans, on, on prisoners, human prisoners. So those Nazis were recruited by the U.S. government. The CIA recruited many Nazis. And for instance, Reinhard Galen, who is an infamous Nazi war criminal who oversaw, he was the chief of Nazi intelligence on the Eastern Front, spying on the Soviet Union, during World War II, during the Holocaust. He was recruited by the CIA and his organization named after him, the Gellin Organization, worked directly with the CIA to try to destabilize the Soviet Union and other socialist governments in Eastern Europe. So when we look at Pinochet's regime and the atrocities carried out, you need to keep in mind that there is a direct link to Nazism. When I say that there were fascist groups in Chile that were involved in the coup against Allende, that were involved in destabilizing Allende with the back of the CIA, I'm not even just talking about neo-Nazis. I'm not talking about new generations of people inspired by the Nazis. I'm talking about the literal Nazis from Germany who went to Chile and Argentina and were involved in these CIA-backed coups and propping up these right-wing regimes in Latin America. That's why still today, many leftist forces in Latin America see the United States basically as the Fourth Reich. I mean, I'm going to be real with you. I spent a lot of time in Latin America, living in Latin America. They see the U.S. flag as a symbol similar to the Nazi flag of Nazi Germany. And they have every right to feel that way, given this history, because the actual Nazis in their countries, the actual fascists in their countries, have been for decades supported by the United States and put in power in CIA coups in Brazil, in Bolivia, in Chile, in Argentina. You can look at the history of these countries and the history of these military dictatorships that were installed through CIA coups. And just as an example, a brief example of this, I don't want to get into the super bloody details because it's just, it's so skin crawling. I'm going to briefly look at part of an article that was published in The Guardian that's titled The Life and Death of Victor Jara. Who is Victor Jara? He was a famous Chilean composer and musician, singer, songwriter, and he was a socialist. He was a communist and he made revolutionary songs on behalf of left-wing struggles in Latin America. And what happened after the CIA coup in Chile in 1973, he and a bunch of other leftists were put in a concentration camp. And the, the Pinochet regime with the backing of the CIA created concentration camps. It was not just the Nazis. And in one of these concentration camps, in the bleachers of a stadium, prisoners were housed and the military was down below in the stadium. And the military, backed by the CIA, the Pinochet dictatorship, would murder these leftist activists. We're talking about not only 
people who are in Allende's government, we're talking about labor organizers, we're even talking about, in some cases, left-wing priests and nuns who are part of the liberation movement in the Catholic Church. And in this concentration camp, there were prisoners who didn't eat for days, and I'm not even going to read, I mean, just the, some of the horrors. You can look up this article. But this is, this is just an example of the atrocities of these fascists backed by the U.S. in Chile. As an example, they found out who Victor Jara was, that he was a famous singer. They took him to a table and they ordered him to put his hands on the table. And then one of these fascist CIA-backed guards got an axe and cut off his fingers. And then the fascist Chilean military guard told Victor Jara, he said, now sing, you MFer, now sing, taunting him. But, and then they beat Victor Jara, they beat him up, and then he lifted himself off the ground and he went over to the, in the arena and he spoke to other prisoners, leftists being held in this U.S.-backed concentration camp. And he said, quote, All right, comrades, now let's do the Señor Comandante the favor. And he began singing. And in, in specifically, Victor Jara began singing the anthem of the Unidad Popular, the the popular unity, which was the leftist alliance of Allende. And everyone in the arena began singing with him, singing this leftist song. And then what happened? The fascist guards shot Victor Jara and murdered him. This is one small example, one little example of the thousands of stories, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of stories of victims of these fascist U.S.-backed regimes in Latin America. They were not just right-wing juntas. They were not even just far-right. They were fascist genocidal dictatorships closely collaborating with literal Nazis and supported by the United States. Again, I've said this point enough here, but I just really wanted to stress that and show the dignity of the victims of these regimes, people like Victor Jara, whose memory needs to be honored. Now, anyway... I'm going to continue here looking at the mountains of evidence showing the U.S. being directly responsible for this fascist coup in Chile. For people who are interested in doing research on the first 9-11, I would highly recommend the National Security Archive at George Washington University in Washington, D.C. This is completely mainstream. These are academics who do historical research and get access to these declassified documents. And this August, 2023, they actually published declassified CIA documents looking at President Nixon's daily briefing on the day of the coup in Chile. And it shows very clearly that President Nixon, the CIA, the U.S. government, was very well aware of what was going on because they were not just bystanders. They were sponsoring this coup. This article points out that on the morning of the U.S.-backed military coup in Chile, the CIA briefed President Nixon that Chilean military officers were, quote, determined to restore political and economic order. This is the president's daily brief dated on September 11th, 1973. I mean, this is, again, one piece of evidence and a mountain of evidence showing this. And then on the 40th anniversary of the coup, the National Security Archive published another document that is specifically focusing on Henry Kissinger's role. And it notes that 
Kissinger pressed Richard Nixon to overthrow the democratically elected Allende government because his, quote, model effect can be insidious. So this is proof that the U.S. government saw democratically elected socialists to be the threat of a good example. You know, we're constantly told again in the propaganda that socialism is anti-democratic and authoritarian, and that's because every time a democratically elected socialist comes to power, the U.S. overthrows that socialist. So the threat of a good example in Chile. This report also notes, these declassified documents note, that Henry Kissinger praised Pinochet, the fascist dictator in Chile, telling him, quote, we want to help, not undermine you. You did a great service to the West in overthrowing Allende. Those are words directly from the mouth of the national security advisor, Henry Kissinger. And this, there's also another piece of evidence here that directly contradicts the claim by people who say, well, you know, the U.S., maybe it supported the coup, but, you know, they didn't actually have a role in organizing the coup. Well, Kissinger himself boasted to Nixon that the U.S. had, quote, helped the coup. That's the exact word he said, that he helped the coup. And also, Nixon complained about the so-called liberal crap in the media about the overthrow of Allende. And Kissinger said to him, boasting, in the Eisenhower period, we would be heroes. So they're taking credit. They're taking credit for overthrowing the democratically elected President Allende. Now let's look at an article in the most mainstream of all mainstream media outlets, the New York Times. And this is actually by Seymour Hirsch, the world-renowned Pulitzer Prize-winning investigative journalist, one of the only real journalists in the world, in the United States, that is. And in 1974, a year after the coup, Seymour Hirsch published an article in the New York Times titled, CIA is linked to strikes in Chile that beset Allende. And it notes, quote, the Central Intelligence Agency secretly financed striking labor unions and trade groups in Chile for more than 18 months before President Salvador Allende was overthrown. Among the labor unions and groups supported by the CIA were the organizers of a nationwide truck strike that lasted 26 days in the fall of 1972, seriously disrupting Chile's economy and provoking the first in a series of labor crises for President Allende. And by the way, in Brazil, there was a similar action carried out by right-wing uh, truck groups that were, they're not working class, they were actually organized by truck company owners, by millionaire oligarchs. And that was done in Brazil to destabilize the government of Lula, of the Workers' Party, and also in support of the coup to overthrow the left-wing president who followed Lula, who was Dilma Rousseff, also from the Workers' Party. And she was overthrown in a U.S.-backed political coup in 2016, in which these trucker groups also played a role using the same tactics that the CIA used in Chile in 1972-1973. The New York Times points out Seymour Hirsch points out that these were strikes of also there were also strikes of middle class shopkeepers and a taxi strike. So these are not working class groups. I mean, especially middle class shopkeepers. This is the petty bourgeois, the petit bourgeoisie that were carrying out these strikes. Their bosses strikes. And in 1973, this article notes that there were more than 250,000 truck drivers, shopkeepers, and professionals who banded together in a middle-class movement, again, a petty bourgeois, petit bourgeois movement, to overthrow 
Allende, backed by the CIA. So keep this in mind when you hear, you know, propaganda in the future about truckers and and shopkeepers and small business owners and all of that. Now, I mentioned earlier that there's a lot of evidence showing it was not only the United States that backed the coup in Chile, but also its allies. And we have evidence from Britain. And this is from a really great investigative journalism website called Declassified UK. And it was published by the journalist Mark Curtis this September 2023. And it's titled, Our Major Interest is Copper. Britain backed Pinochet's bloody coup in Chile. And I mentioned earlier that Chile historically has been the world's leading producer of copper. And this document looks at, this article looks at documents from the British government. And the British foreign secretary boasted, quote, for British interests, there is no doubt that Chile under the junta is a better prospect than Allende's chaotic road to socialism. And Britain's ambassador in Chile said, quote, the prospects for British business in Chile are clearly much brighter under the new regime that is under the fascist Pinochet regime. And this is an interesting article because it points out, looking at the official documents from the British government, that the UK was well aware of the fact that the coup was, quote, cold-blooded and, quote, ruthless. They, they admitted that. They referred to that in their documents. And yet they strongly supported this fascist coup in which thousands of people were killed, tortured, disappeared, exiled. Now, this article points out that three days after the coup in Chile, the British ambassador Reginald Seconde reported to the UK Foreign Office that, quote, it is likely that the casualties run into the thousands. Certainly, it has been far from a bloodless coup. So I looked at that example of the concentration camps that Pinochet created. And six days after, the British ambassador wrote that, quote, stories of military excesses and mounting casualties have begun increasingly to circulate. The extent of the bloodshed has shocked people. But the British government didn't care. They continued supporting this murderous fascist regime. And the British ambassador reported to the foreign office, quote, we still have enough at stake in economic relations with Chile to require good relations with the government in power. The ambassador also told the foreign office that, quote, most British businessmen will be overjoyed at the prospect of consolidation, which the new military regime offers. And he noted that British companies like, for instance, Shell, the infamous oil company, quote, are all breathing deep sighs of relief. So British corporations were ecstatic. They were very happy about the new fascist military dictatorship in Chile. So much for capitalism supporting democracy, right? And also the British ambassador said, quote, now is the time to get in. That is that the British government needed to recognize the coup regime and in particular invest in mining the copper. And 10 days after the coup, in September 1973, the British Foreign Secretary sent a memo out in which he, he told the British embassies to recognize the fascist dictatorship in Chile. And he said, quote, for British interests, there is no doubt that Chile under the junta is a better prospect than Allende's chaotic road to socialism. Our investments should do better. 
Our loans may be successfully rescheduled and export credits later resumed. And the sky high price of copper, which is important to us, should fall as Chilean production is restored. So once again, it was not only about overthrowing the threat of a good example of a democratically elected socialist, which could be a model for other socialists in Latin America and around the world. But it was also about simply exploiting the copper in Chile, which again has long been the world's leading copper producer. And on that note, I actually want to briefly look here at a the website of the National Archive of Chile. And it has a very interesting historical document overviewing the importance of copper in Chile, and in particular, the importance for economic independence. That's the way they describe it, la independencia económica, economic independence. And it discusses the history of the nationalization of copper mining in Chile under Salvador Allende. And it notes that just soon after Allende took power in 1970, he almost immediately sent a constitutional reform proposal to the Congress in December 1970. And then just six months later, the law was approved without significant changes. That was in July 1971. So this was the full nationalization of copper in Chile. Now, this is a history that's a little complicated because there were actually previous nationalizations, but it was not fully nationalized the mining until the government of Allende. And in particular, there were foreign corporations that were active, like the U.S. corporation Anaconda, and that their, their mining concessions were nationalized under Allende in 1971. And as the Chilean National Archives put it, it says that, this is an exact quote, that Allende, quote, signaled that the nationalization of the great mining of copper represented the second national independence. And in particular, what it, what they're saying is that Chile achieved its economic independence, its definitive economic independence following the political independence from Spanish colonialism in 1818. So Allende was acknowledging the fact that having political independence is not enough just because in 1818, Chile was no longer officially a colony of the Spanish Empire, did not mean that it was truly independent. In order for countries to be truly independent, they have to have their economic independence and they have to control their natural resources. So that was the second independence. This is why U.S. mining corporations were so angry. And in fact, behind the scenes, Henry Kissinger was also conspiring with billionaire capitalist oligarchs, like, for instance, David Rockefeller of the Rockefeller oligarch family of Chase Manhattan Bank. And in September 1971, Henry Kissinger wrote a letter on White House stationery paper. It says the White House on it. And in this letter, Henry Kissinger thanks the oligarch David Rockefeller for requesting that he meet with the vice chair of the Anaconda Mining Corporation. Kissinger said that he met with his colleagues of the Anaconda Mining Corporation, and Henry Kissinger said, quote, we will do whatever we can to help Anaconda receive fair compensation for its properties. So this is a clear example of the U.S. government acting on behalf of corporations 
trying to make sure that they get paid for their properties in Chile that were nationalized by the elected government. And speaking of the Anaconda Mining Corporation, there was another article published in The Guardian in 2003 titled The Pinochet Files that provides further evidence of the U.S. support for this fascist coup regime in Chile and the role of mining. And it notes that immediately after the coup, U.S. officials worked hard to ease international criticism of the human rights record of the Pinochet regime. Rather than fear Washington's reproach, the military regime repeatedly sought help and advice. And just a few weeks after the coup, the U.S. ambassador in Chile sent a memo to Henry Kissinger saying that the Pinochet regime requires an advisor assistance for a person qualified in establishing a detention center for the detainees. So the Pinochet regime was asking the U.S. government for help for its concentration camps, for its prison camps, internment camps for leftists where they were tortured and murdered. And The Guardian pointed out that even when the full extent of the torture and executions in Chile were well known, the U.S. government sought to integrate the Pinochet regime into international business circles. Again, I mean, this is Nazi behavior that the U.S. government supported in Chile. Again, the Pinochet regime was asking the U.S. government for help on how to run a concentration camp and torture and murder leftists effectively. And furthermore... One of the most notorious figures in the Pinochet regime was the head of the secret police, the Dina, which was notorious for, in the middle of the night, kidnapping people out of their beds and, and torturing them and disappearing them and murdering them, right? And the head of Pinochet's secret police was Manuel Contreras. And Contreras was working for the CIA. He was a CIA asset. And furthermore, when Contreras, the head of Pinochet's secret police, when he visited Washington, the U.S. State Department had specific tasks for him. Quote, Contreras was also asked to check in with Anaconda Copper Mining Corporation and General Motors, another U.S. corporation, to encourage them to resume operations in Chile. So here we see everything. This is the perfect example. War criminals, Nazis, fascists, torturers, murderers collaborating with the U.S. government, with the CIA, with the State Department, and with big corporations like Anaconda and General Motors. Now, I'm going to start wrapping up here, but I'm going to look at a few more pieces of evidence briefly before I conclude. This is an article that was published by the journalist John McAvoy over the Daily Maverick that looks at secret cables from the U.K., from the British government, showing declassified foreign office files show that Britain conducted a covert propaganda offensive to stop Chilean leader Salvador Allende from winning two democratic presidential elections and helped prepare the ground for General Pinochet's brutal military regime. And this is more evidence that not only did the UK help the US in sponsoring the coup in Chile, but even before Allende was elected, the UK, the, the so-called great British democracy, which is actually still a monarchy, was trying to rig the elections in Chile. The article notes that a secret foreign office unit initiated a propaganda offensive in Chile, aiming at preventing Allende from winning the presidential elections in 1964 and 1970. 
The unit, which is called the Information Research Department, gathered information designed to damage Allende and lend legitimacy to his political opponents and distributed material to influential figures within Chilean society. The IRD, this is the British Propaganda Unit, also shared intelligence about left-wing activity in Chile with the U.S. government, British officials in Santiago assisted a CIA-funded media organization, which was part of extensive U.S. covert action to overthrow Allende, culminating in the 1973 coup. And I mentioned that other countries were involved in supporting the coup. Well, Australia, another great Western so-called democracy, and Australia, the National Security Archive at George Washington University published this report titled Australian Spies Aided and Abetted CIA in Chile. This notes that at the behest of the CIA, the Australian Secret Intelligence Service, ASIS, established a station in Santiago in 1971 and conducted clandestine spy operations to directly support U.S. intervention in Chile. So this is the Anglo-American alliance to overthrow democracy anywhere it's inconvenient for corporate interests. Finally, here is another report from the National Security Archive at George Washington University. It's titled, Brazil Abetted Overthrow of Allende in Chile. Now, this is important because I should stress that Chile was not the only fascist dictatorship, military dictatorship in South America backed by the U.S. Brazil, Argentina, Paraguay, Bolivia, they all had fascist military dictatorships supported by the United States, and they were actually collaborating together in what is known as Operation Condor, or in Spanish, Plan Condor. And the 1964 coup that overthrew Brazil's democratically elected left-wing leader and installed the fascist military regime was also backed by the CIA. So, I mean, very similar to what happened in Chile nine years later. Now, these de declassified documents show that the Brazilian military regime, backed by the U.S., was trying to make plans immediately after Allende came to power to try to overthrow him militarily. In 1971, Chile's ambassador to Brazil sent an alarming cable about how the Brazilian military regime was evaluating how to instigate an insurrection to overthrow Allende. The Brazilian military had established a war room with maps and models for a plan to infiltrate Chile. The Brazilian army also sent secret agents into Chile who entered as tourists with the goal of gathering information. And there are declassified documents here. And here are some important details about this. Within days of Allende's historic election on the 4th of September, 1970, the U.S. ambassador to Chile met with Brazil's ambassador in Santiago and shared details of initial U.S. efforts to block Allende's inauguration. So this is an example of the so-called democratic United States collaborating with a fascist military dictatorship in Brazil that obviously was not elected to try to prevent Chile's democratically elected socialist president from taking power democratically. So once again, the entire narrative of the Cold War was a lie, a complete lie. Furthermore, this document shows that on the orders of the Nixon White House, the U.S. Embassy was passing hostile information about Allende to Chilean military officers and threatening to cut off economic aid and credits if he assumed the presidency of Chile and he was democratically elected. So even before Allende took power, the U.S. was conspiring with the Chilean military to try to 
prevent him from taking power. Then the Brazilian military regime, backed by the U.S., established back-channel communications with Chilean military officers who opposed Allende and even secretly arranged for some of them to come to Brazil for discussions about coup plotting. Brazilian agents established ties with the Chilean terrorist group Patria y Libertad, known official, the full name was the, the Frente Nacionalista Patria Libertad, which is a neo-Nazi organization in Chile. I mean, literal Nazis, fascists inspired by Hitler. And they actually carried out a failed coup attempt in Chile in June 1973. And that was supported by the U.S. and also Brazil. And Brazil provided protection and asylum for senior members of Patria y Libertad, this neo-Nazi group or Nazi, not, not just neo-Nazi, Nazi group in Chile. And then in the days after the September 11th, 1973 golpe de estado, the military coup, Brazil's fascist military regime, its foreign ministry, aided the new Chilean junta's diplomatic effort to present the coup in the most positive light on the international stage. So, I mean, there, are, there is so much evidence. This is one of the most well-documented coups in modern history. And I could even spend more time, but I've already gone long enough. I've made all the points I wanted to make. But again, I want to conclude here on the note that this history is important to study, not only because it helps us to understand our past, but it helps us to understand today. And if you think the United States has stopped carrying out these policies to try to destabilize and overthrow socialist governments, elected left-wing governments in places like Venezuela and Nicaragua and Bolivia, or continuing these same policies against Cuba, which have continued since 1959, since 1960. I mean, you're very naive if you think that Washington and the CIA have stopped these policies. They absolutely are continuing. We saw that with the very violent coup attempt against Nicaragua's democratically elected Sandinista government in 2018. We saw that with the blatant U.S. coup attempt in Venezuela, in 2019, in which Donald Trump decided to appoint this unknown right-wing politician, Juan Guaido, as the fake interim president of the country, despite the fact that he never participated in a presidential election. And we see that with the, the military coup, the military-led coup in, in Bolivia, also in 2019, in which the Trump administration backed the overthrow of the democratically elected socialist president, Evo Morales, who, by the way, was the first and only ever indigenous president in an indigenous majority country. And the military regime, the coup regime in Bolivia, was strongly backed by the United States for a year until it, it collapsed. It just had no support whatsoever. It oversaw an economic crisis. Today, Peru has an unelected coup regime that was installed through a U.S.-backed coup that was backed this time by the Biden administration, because this is bipartisan, in 2022 that overthrew the elected president, Pedro Castillo, and now the Peruvian unelected regime has killed dozens of protesters, is implementing these right-wing neoliberal policies like we saw under Pinochet and others, with the support of the U.S. government. This, this is all continuing to happen to today. So keep all of this in mind when you hear propaganda about Venezuela and socialism and all that. This is the reality of what happened in Chile 50 years ago. This is the reality of what's happening today in Latin America and in other countries. You cannot understand politics today and economics today without 
educating yourself about this history of the first 9-11 attacks in 1973 carried out by the United States and its allies, its great democratic allies, the UK and Australia. On that note, I'm going to end today. I'm Ben Norton. This is Geopolitical Economy Report. Please subscribe on whatever platform you're watching or listening on. If you're watching on YouTube, please like the video and subscribe. It helps to promote our material in the algorithm. Also, all of our videos are available as well as a podcast version, so be sure to check those out if you prefer listening. And if you want to support the work that we do, we're entirely independent, so please consider donating. You can go to geopoliticaleconomy.com support. There are several ways you can donate. The best way is you can go to patreon.com slash geopoliticaleconomy and become a patron to help sustain our work. We are totally independent. We have no institutional backing. We rely entirely on small donations from viewers and listeners like you. I want to thank everyone for joining me today. I'll see you next time.